and we're picking up from verse 9 of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, as we come to the Bible, as we come to your word, uh, we ask now that you will help us. Father, we need your help to understand that it's addressed to us, that it's important, that we need to take it seriously, that through this word you're saying things to each of us, and also that as we hear your word, you're asking for a response from us. And so, Father, please help us not just to understand what you're saying, but to respond to your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 9, beginning of verse 9. I want to talk about a couple of ideas that people have about Christianity. Uh, They're the kind of ideas that your friends will have who aren't followers of Jesus But it's not just out there. It's not just the people out there who hold these kinds of ideas. They influence us. So let me give you two things, two ideas. They are two very profound misconceptions about Christianity. The first one is this, that Christianity is only for certain kinds of people. It's for religious types. It's for people who are spiritual. It's for people who are good. It's for people who are respectable. But it's not for me. It's how lots of people think. I read the story some couple of years ago, I think it was, of an American professor. Uh, She was a, a professor at a university just outside New York, and her area of expertise was women's study. In fact, it was uh, gender studies, and she was a radical feminist and a lesbian. And she started doing some exploration about Christians, and particularly about people who take the Bible seriously in terms of what it has to say about sexuality and so on. And so she started exploring this, and Along the way, she, she found herself driving into the area next to the church car park um, of the church where she was making some inquiries, uh, and it was a very respectable church, and these were people who believed the Bible and took it seriously, and she, she understood that they would probably have real problems with a radical feminist who was involved in gender studies. So there she was in her big van and her butch haircut and the big signs across that were promoting gay rights and all this kind of thing. And she watched these people coming and a number of them were families and there were little children with them and some mums and dads and so on. And she just thought, I don't fit into this. How would would I, 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 I just cannot relate to these people. And that was her view of what Christians were like. They were people she couldn't relate to, and Christianity wasn't something that was for her. That kind of view is held very deeply by an awful lot of people. And you know, over the years, I've come across people who are in churches, who 
who are followers of Jesus, but actually they still think in the same kind of way because they see themselves as not being really good Christians. They're not like those really, those advanced Christians, the, 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 the ones that God really likes, and you know, they're not very good. So that's the first one. And as I say, it's a misconception, which is another way of saying it's wrong. The second one, Christianity is boring. If you become a follower of Jesus, so people think, then what Jesus will do, what Christianity will do is suck life from you. The things that you really enjoy, the things that make you feel alive and good about life, Jesus is going to put a big cross against all of those, or a lot of them. And so you're going to end up, if you become a follower of Jesus, if you take Christianity seriously, you're going to end up with a life that isn't as much fun as the one you're living there, or the one that you could live if you didn't take Christianity seriously. An awful lot of people think that. Christianity is restrictive. It's all about no's. It's all about rules and regulations. It's all about cutting out the things that you really want to do. Of course, a lot of you here tonight are already followers of Jesus. You've already ticked the box. and You'd never think like that, would you? No. You know that Jesus came to give you life, and the best life that you can possibly have is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You know that, don't you? You would never think that if you were going to take following Jesus seriously, even more seriously, follow him more closely, you'd never think that you don't want to do that because it would make life more unpleasant, less exciting. You wouldn't think that, would you? But we do, don't we? Deep down, there is something in all of us that makes us think that God's about no and not about yes to life. And so the closer we get to following Jesus, the less we'll enjoy life. So two misconceptions that are out there but often they're in here amongst us. And you know, the more seriously we listen to those misconceptions, the less closely we'll follow Jesus. So let's have a look at them tonight. Let's take the first one. Let's take the idea that Jesus, that following Jesus isn't for you or me or ordinary people or regular people. It's only for the good and it's only for the spiritual and it's only for nice, respectable people. And if you don't make that kind of grade, well, you may be a follower of Jesus, but you're not really at the top grade. I want you to notice in verse 9 of chapter 9, Jesus sees a man, he's called Matthew. And Matthew is doing his job. Do you notice what his job is? He's a tax collector. So Jesus sees Matthew doing his job. Now, I don't know what you think about tax collectors, but I can tell you something about what first century Jews thought about tax collectors. Number one, they were traitors. 
Number two, they had a reputation for being greedy and unjust, for extorting money for people. You see, they were considered to be traitors because they worked for the ruling authority. In the north, that was Herod and that regime, but all of that was under Rome. They were under occupation. So they were collecting money for the ruling powers, and so they were counted as traitors. But not only that, what they would do is they'd run special deals with people. So some people, they would favor other people, they would charge more money. And they could pretty much set what kind of taxes they wanted. They just had to pay money to the state, and then they could fix the rates. So you can imagine how that went, can't you? If you have to pay X percent to the state, or a certain amount of money to the state, and then you can just charge what you like on top of that. So you can imagine how desperately, desperately unpopular they were. They were seen as traitors against the Jewish nation, and therefore against God, and they were unjust and greedy and exploitative, which is why tax collectors are often lumped, as they are in this passage, with sinners. Decent people didn't have anything to do with people like tax collectors, and clearly God wouldn't want anything to do with tax collectors being associated with him, would he? I mean, you wouldn't put a tax collector in charge of a church, if I can put it like that. You wouldn't get them doing something that was associated with God. Just imagine how his reputation would go. And that's what's so extraordinary about this story, isn't it? Because Jesus sees Matthew, and you notice what he does? He says, come and follow me. He calls him. What he's saying to Matthew, the tax collector, is, I have a role for you, and I want you to be with me. And not only that, but he's accepting Matthew, and he's accepting Matthew as he is. It's not some kind of Matthew stage three up there, the Matthew who might one day be much better than he is. Because do you know what happens? Notice what happens. It goes on to talk about how he has a meal with his friends. In verse 10, Jesus goes to have a meal with Matthew. Presumably it's at Matthew's house. And Matthew's friends are there. And you can imagine the kind of friends that Matthew has. He has friends who are like him, tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus is there mixing with Matthew's social circle. Do you see what's happened? He said, come and follow me. He said, I have a place for you. You're acceptable to me as you are. He doesn't ask Matthew to get rid of his friends and his social circle. Actually, Jesus joins with them. And in the first century, more so than today, if you had a meal with somebody, you were linking your reputation with them. If it got out that you were mixing with the wrong types, it didn't do your reputation any good. So here's Jesus. He's asked Matthew to follow him. And then he mixes with Matthew's 
friends. But it, it goes even further than that. It's not just that Jesus is willing to call someone like Matthew to follow him. It's not just that he's willing to mix with his circle. Jesus is actually saying in this passage, he's come for people. He's come specifically for people like Matthew. Which is why the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, you, you can think of them as those really uptight, regular, decent, law-abiding, good, incredibly respectable Willabites. Not like those people in certain other parts of Sydney. And these people are devoutly religious as well. You can often spot a Pharisee because they actually wore their religion because of the way that they dressed as well as the things that they did. In fact, you could see their religion because they would do a lot of the religious things in a way that people could see them. Look how devout I am. Look how religious I am. They would pray in public so people could see them and so on. And they are absolutely incensed and scathing about what Jesus is doing. It's there in verse 11. When the Pharisees saw what Jesus was doing, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's not a friendly question, in case you were wondering. They aren't asking for information. It's the kind of question you ask when you really want to pull somebody down. And that's what they're doing. How could Jesus, who claims to be a teacher, who claims to be a deeply religious leader, speaking for God and drawing disciples to himself, how could he possibly imagine that God would sanction him mixing with people like Matthew and his friends. It's unthinkable. It's shocking. That's what's going on. But look at Jesus' response in verse 12. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. What does that mean? Well, it means exactly what it says. Generally speaking, I don't go to the doctor unless I'm sick. In fact, I don't always go to the doctor when I am sick because I'm frightened of doctors because I'm frightened they're going to diagnose something that I don't know that I've got that's in addition to the thing I do know I've got or might have. I, I fear that if I walk into a doctor's surgery... Somehow, even if I wasn't sick before I went in, I will be sick just having seen the doctor. But then I'm weird. Or a man or something. I realize women don't understand this. Sick people need doctors. And Jesus is using that kind of picture to speak about himself. He has come for people who need what he comes to bring. He's like a doctor who's mixing with those who are sick. 
He's choosing to be with those who need him. People like Matthew and his friends who are tax collectors and sinners. So do do you see what's going on here? If you ever feel you're not good enough, you're not a good enough Christian, or if you're talking to your friends and they're saying, well, I don't think Christianity is for me, it's for respectable types and religious types, you tell them this. Jesus came for people like you. And if you ever feel you haven't made the grade as a Christian and therefore God isn't really that pleased with you and you don't really have a place, you come back to this. Because Jesus came for people like you and me, like Matthew and his friends. He came for those who are sick. Not those who think they're well. What's the underlying issue that we need to grasp here? Well, it's an issue actually about God. Look at verse 13. In verse 13, Jesus quotes the Old Testament. It's the book of Hosea. And in Hosea, the prophet there writes, and Jesus quotes from this, and this is what Jesus says, quoting from it, go and learn. So he's saying to the Pharisees, this is Jesus speaking, and then he quotes, go and learn this. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's what God says. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And God desires that because that's what God is like. He's concerned about mercy and not about sacrifice. Sacrifice here sums up all those religious duties, the things that you do, the things that the Pharisees were so keen on displaying, making sure that they went to the temple, making sure that they said their prayers at the right time, making sure that they tithed their herbs, all that kind of stuff, or to put it in our kind of terms, going to church every week, reading your Bible, doing, being confirmed, taking communion, all those kinds of things. They're good things. But they're not the main thing. God is concerned about mercy and not sacrifice because that's the kind of God that he is. God doesn't look at your life and mine and say, How many times does that person go to church? What's their past life like? Okay, well, I'll put them at that level on the pecking order. Now, this person goes to church so much more often. They're a much better person. They're much more spiritual. So I'll push them up here. He offers mercy to us. He came for people like Matthew. And Matthew's friends who weren't good enough and then he started to turn their life around and change them. But it's about God's mercy to us. So don't ever, ever think you're not good enough for God. That Jesus doesn't have a place for you. That Jesus doesn't have a role for you and a purpose for you. He does. Because he came for people like 
And that's why he calls Matthew the tax collector. And the Pharisees don't like it. And people like the Pharisees don't like it. And they don't get it. And therefore they miss out. Let's have a look at the second one. Christianity is boring. Why would I ever want to become a Christian? Because becoming a Christian means reducing the number of choices that I've got. It's about reducing the amount of fun. It's about restriction. It's about rules and regulations. That's how people think. It's the default position actually for all of us. Get too close to Jesus. Get too serious about following Jesus. And it will drain the life out of us. Which brings us to verse 14, which is the question that John the Baptist's followers ask. And, he says, and they say, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't? The background to that is that John's disciples and the Pharisees took fasting and religion in general very seriously. And fasting was a sign that you were serious about God, serious about your sin, and above all, that you were serious about God's people, the people of Israel, the Jewish nation. You wanted God to restore the nation. And so you were praying like mad that God would forgive the nation, bring in the kingdom, that God would turn up. All those Old Testament promises about restoration would be fulfilled, and as a sign of that, or at least one of the signs of that, you fasted often. So this isn't a health thing. It's not about the body beautiful. It's about spiritual things. But look at Jesus' response. Jesus uses the response of talking about a wedding. And he, he talks about the bridegroom and the friends of the bridegroom. And he says, when the bridegroom turns up and the bridegroom's friends are there, what do they do at the wedding? Some of you have been to weddings and you know a little bit about weddings. And you know what happens at a wedding. After the wedding, you usually have a party of some kind. And they're always really boring, aren't they? They're not exciting at all. You wouldn't want to enjoy yourself at a wedding, would you? And you wouldn't eat any of the food because, you know, the, 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 the parents or the either sets of parents, both sets of parents have spent huge amounts of money because this is the North Shore on the wedding. So lots and lots of food of the highest possible quality. But you wouldn't participate in that, would you? You know, you just sit there and think, I'm going to be miserable all this through this wedding celebration. Aren't I? Well, it, it, it might be that you would do that if the guy married, married the girl that you really wanted to marry and so you're not feeling too great or that the girl has married the boy that you wanted to marry. I, I understand that, but you probably wouldn't turn up. Would you? Under normal circumstances, what happens at a wedding, even if you're not feeling great, you don't want to let the bride and the groom down and so you celebrate. And Jesus is saying... I'm the bridegroom. This is like a new era. I have come to bring in something completely new. And it's time to celebrate. And all that old stuff about fasting and about religious observance, that was about the era before I came. In fact, the reason people fasted was because they wanted this new era to come. Well, let me tell you, it's come, so it's party time. Celebrate. Sure, it's going to come at great cost to Jesus, which is what verse 15 is about. 
Because he says that the bridegroom will be taken away and there will be a time for his followers to fast. For the first disciples of Jesus, Jesus would one day go to the cross and they would weep and they would mourn. And that would be a time to fast. I don't think they ate very much in that period leading up immediately to the crucifixion of Jesus and until the resurrection. But the coming of Jesus is about party time. It's the time for celebration. He's come to bring life and life in all its fullness. So it's time to say goodbye to the old era, which is what those two examples about shrunken cloth and new wineskins are about in verses 16 and 17. I think this, I think I understand the shrunken cloth thing. Uh, if you've got a patch, that you, you want to patch something on some clothes, and you put new unshrunk cloth onto a garment where the material's already been shrunk, and then you put it in the, the washing machine, then the new stuff will shrink more quickly, and it makes a tear. I think that's how it works. Have I got that right? Ish. Yes, okay. I think I understand the other one better, but let me tell you the other one, which is the wineskins. Same kind of principle. You'd put wine into wineskins, animal skins, and so they were flexible. New wine still fermenting a little bit, and so it's expanding when you put it in and put the stopper on. So you need some flexibility in the wineskin. But if you've had a wineskin and you've used it a number of times, then deposits accumulate inside the skin. It grows hard. It becomes brittle. So if you put new wine into an old wineskin, well, you wouldn't do that. Not if you're serious about wine, because you'll shatter the wineskin. Do you see Jesus' point? Don't try and mix the old and the new. This is the new. It's the era of the party. It's the era of life that Jesus has come to bring. Jesus isn't about taking life from us, do you see? The closer you get to Jesus, it's not the more deadly life becomes, but the closer to life you are. The further you walk away from God, the more you're walking away from life. The nearer you get to God, the closer you get to walking with Jesus, the closer you are to real life. Because that's what Jesus came to bring. Do you see why it's a misconception? To say that Christianity is boring? Is being a Christian hard? Yeah, sure. Sometimes it is, but then life's hard, isn't it? Bad things happen. Um, one of our daughters had a Facebook message today to say that a friend of hers, who she knew a, a bit, had certainly spent some time with uh, a couple of years ago, suddenly died. A young woman in her early 20s. Life is hard. It's not just Christianity that's hard. But what Jesus has come to do is to bring life, real life, Life in all its fullness. It is a massive, massive deception for us to imagine that God wants to take life from us, to drain the joy from us, to drain the purpose 
from us. It is entirely the opposite. And the fact that we think like that shows just how messed up we are. The God should want what's worst for us. The God should be about taking good things from us. Jesus came to bring life. So two misconceptions. Jesus came for you. Whoever you are, whatever your past, however you feel. He came for people who are in need of him and what he has to offer. And Christianity isn't boring. It's about life. It's about the life that God always may intended for you. You will never discover your true life until you start on that journey with Jesus and give your life to him and start following him. And the closer you get to following him, the more you grow in your obedience to Jesus, the more that life that he's giving you will blossom and flourish. At the beginning, I prayed that we wouldn't just understand what God is saying, but we respond because you see what the Bible, the reason why it's there is not just so that we understand stuff, but so that it changes us as we respond to it. So I wonder how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you tonight and encouraging you to respond. Maybe to be encouraged because you've been feeling bad about your Christian life. You've been looking at somebody else and thinking they're so much better as a Christian than I am. Or maybe feeling that you don't have a place. Maybe even thinking, I don't know whether Christianity is really for somebody like me. Or perhaps it's been the second one. You've been tempted to think again. That actually if you get too close to Jesus, if you follow him, then you'll miss out on life. Let's pray. Father, please, please would you take what you're saying to us and bring it alive to us so we understand that you're addressing us, that you're speaking to us and you're speaking to us because you care about us. You want to blow away the misconceptions that we have about you because ultimately they are misconceptions about you. They are distortions of what you're like that sin has worked so deeply in us. And that's why we turn away from you. We think we're turning away to something that's good or better, something that's safer, but we're not. We're turning away from the, the one who is the source of love and life and joy. So please help us to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. pray. Amen.